0: Now, let me begin our study of this passage by making three statements about what this passage does not say. This passage, first and foremost, is not saying that all women are to be subject to or submit to any man. That's not what the passage is saying. Men are not to think of themselves as superior to women. Those are misapplications of the Word of God. Those are false interpretations of what the Bible would say. The charge here is for wives to submit to their own husbands, which is referring to the relationship between the two that is formed by God and the definition of their roles and their responsibilities in a biblical marriage union. This is not to be taken out of context, but to be understood in the context of what God is saying. So this passage is very similar to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And since Paul elaborated a little more on the mutual submission of husbands and wives to each other and the responsibilities of the husband in following the example of Jesus, let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife, must respect her husband. As we keep going, there'll be a couple more references to these truths that I've just read. But I want to get to the second thing this passage is not saying. This passage is not saying that women should not braid their hair or wear jewelry. Just just so that that's clear. The caution, the caution in verse 3 is against excess And self-centered enticement. Doing something so as to have an ungodly motivation. Verse 3 is not forbidding the wearing of makeup or jewelry or even expensive clothes. But rather the contrast in verse 4 is between outward, external extravagances of makeup, jewelry and clothing that are done with worldly, fleshly, and ungodly motivations. When that happens, there is a tendency to the sin and the flesh and everything else. But what the passage is pointing out is, instead of that, there should be the inward, Holy Spirit-led heart attitudes that are pleasing to the Lord. So the Charge here is not, as some have interpreted this verse, that you should never wear jewelry. Women should not wear jewelry, men for that matter too, but women should not wear jewelry, they should not wear makeup, they shouldn't do this, they shouldn't wear these kinds of clothes. That's not the statement that's being made here. The statement is, here's the contrast. If this is what you're focused on in terms of showing yourself off in this way versus you are focused on what pleases the Lord and the inner self, then that's the contrast that's being referenced. And the third thing that this passage is not saying, this passage is not saying that women are inferior to men. So if the first, thing, first point that I made was that men should not think of themselves as superior to women, this point is saying women should not think of themselves as inferior to men. And men should not do that. The reference to the weaker vessel in verse 7 has to do with physical and soulish differences and therefore the responsibility of the husband to care for his wife with sensitivity and understanding. It's very, very clear that the verse is speaking about the equality of men and women. Not a position of inferiority or superiority. The equality of the husband and the wife is abundantly clear when it describes the wife as a joint heir with the husband of the same grace and gift of the eternal life of God. It doesn't say there'll be two things in heaven, you know, one for the husbands, for the men, and then something lower for the women. Nothing like that. There's no implication of that kind in any way. If you've ever heard that kind of a statement made about the position of men and women, then please understand, that's not what the Word of God says. That's what we have come up with as human beings to have our own positions of power. So, those are some of the things that this passage is not saying. However, having established what the passage is not saying, let's consider what it is saying to both wives and husbands. And the first thing that it says is this. Everyone, especially our spouses, should see our respectful and pure conduct. It's not an accident that wives are called to respect their husbands and husbands are called to love their wives. Now, if you think about that and you read that and you say, See, that means you, you know, the husband saying this to the wife, You need to respect me. And the wife says, Yeah, but you don't love me. Now, think about it in the reverse. Does that mean that the husbands can you know, disrespect their wives? The wives need to be respected just as much as the husbands need to be respected. And does it mean that the you know, husband doesn't need to be loved, he just needs to be respected? Oh, you're a great husband, but I don't love you. I mean, is that the meaning of the word? They, I mean, cr- clearly, the husbands have to be loved as well, just as the wives have to be loved. So these are statements that are being made to show what is necessary, but, is, but it is speaking about, it is talking about the prevailing needs of husbands and wives and what the makeup of men and women and husbands and wives go. But it goes without saying that there is a need for this profound respect, what we already read in the principles before. Show proper respect to everyone. Love everyone unconditionally as the Lord would love. So if we're doing that, if we're applying that, then these principles come into play are applicable for husbands and wives equally, right? Now, if you think about respect and, and you know, profound and pure conduct of this kind, one of the ways to understand what it means to model respectful and pure conduct is to picture yourself as a guest of the President of the United States at a state dinner in the White House. Uh, and, I'm not, and it doesn't matter which president and what party right? Uh, It doesn't matter. If you accept that invitation, you will make every effort to dress, to speak, to behave, and be situationally aware in a way that you wouldn't do typically while you were at home or in, in, in any other context. Think of the tone of voice that you will use when you're there. And by the way, even as I'm saying this, you're already remembering or thinking of the contrast that I'm making here, right? And why I'm drawing this example or analogy. Think of the tone of voice that you will use when you're in the White House. Think of the fact that you will not interrupt people when you're there in that state dinner, you know. There won't be any coarse joking. You know, you will be very grateful. There will be an appropriate awe for the office of the president and the importance of the occasion. Now, think of all the meals and interactions every day that you're having at home. Do you think that that same kind of respect and conduct is happening? Do you sit there and go, oh, let me think of the tone of my voice. Let me not interrupt. Let me be on my best behavior. Let me conduct myself in a way that would be honoring of this time that I'm spending with my spouse. Do we do that? No, I don't. Uh, I, it's so tough to do that. Right? To be able to say, oh Lord, I will, I will show respect and I will speak you know, calmly. We don't do it. We just don't do it. And then we say, oh, that's just my husband, that's just my wife. But that was the president. Oh, I had to go to the White House. Oh, I had to behave differently there. Why? Why do we do that? Because we don't take to heart the word of God. Because we are influenced by what the world says. So we say, this is okay to treat this person this way. But this is different because of this context. The Bible doesn't say, when you're before kings and rulers, then do this. It says, show proper respect to everyone. Deal with everyone in this way, where they will see your respectful and pure conduct. Remember, we talked about submitting to human authorities. We talked about honoring those that would be in authority. But the Bible has many other things to say about respecting elders, about showing the kind of care and concern for others about being deferential, sometimes even to your own harm, that you're not trying to impose your way. You allow that, you yield, you submit, you allow that person to say and do things. Again, keep in mind what we've talked about. This is not when it would be in opposition to the word of God or in opposition to God. Your primary responsibility is to submit to God. But as you do that, how often, how conscious are you of living this way on a daily basis? Showing this kind of respect and conduct. If somebody, someone observed you, if they watched your interaction with your spouse, would they say, oh, they're very respectful. Their, their conduct, there's a purity to it. Well... I, I have said this before, every time I share something up here, I have to speak to myself first. right? This is not for you, and I say, oh, all of you. This is for me. I, I know. This, these are the statements that I have to make, that we have to make to each other, that these have to resonate in our hearts and in our minds. And as we come to the end of the year and prepare for a new year, let these be your new year resolu- resolutions. I will speak more respectfully to my spouse. Not I will lose 10 pounds. Lose 10 pounds, fine, go ahead. But also, speak respectfully to your spouse. I will conduct myself in these ways in which that are honorable and pure. All right. What's the next thing? Everyone, especially our spouses, should see our gentle and quiet spirit. You know what happens for most of us? Our spouses see the worst of us. Right? Everybody else sees a good side. Everybody else says, oh, what a nice person. Your spouse says, hmm, if only you saw them at home. (laughs) Isn't that what's happening? Everyone, especially our spouses, should see our gentle and quiet spirit. Not just that somebody outside, not just when we get to the White House, everybody sees our gentle and quiet spirit, but rather every single day that our spouses in particular, those that are closest to us, those that see us regularly interact with us, those that know what is going on in our heads sometimes better than we do, you know, those folks should be seeing a gentle and quiet spirit. The Bible makes multiple references to the nature of the inner man, to the nature of the inner self, the fact that this is the inner self, the inner man, the person who we are is meant to be crucified, put to death, and that we are raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. Even later, just a few, you know, a little while, we're going to celebrate that kind of a commitment. But the idea is the Bible is making this statement that we are to be characterized by a gentle and quiet spirit as was displayed by Jesus. That when we have risen to new life in Christ Jesus, when we live and move and have our being in him, clearly, this was the characteristic of Jesus' life. He was firm when he needed to be. He rebuked when he needed to. He spoke, you know, with authority. He commanded demons to flee. He did all of that. But he was consistently one of a gentle and quiet spirit. Think of those terms. Think of those words. Think of how that should manifest in your life. Are we always agitated? Are we always sort of not gentle? Are we always belligerent? You know, not just with the devil, but with everybody else, you know. We're always on edge. But a gentle and a quiet spirit, a way in which the inner man is submitted to the Lord Jesus. Think about that. If our church, if every person in our church was living like that every day, and every time we met each other, that would be what is affecting the other person. Your gentle and quiet spirit, my gentle and quiet spirit affecting each other, and that we're able to speak life to each other. We're not agitated, we're not aggravated, we're not, you know, on edge, we're able to help each other. And then this next point, everyone, especially our spouses, should see our understanding ways. The passage says, live in an understanding way. And it says it or addresses it to husbands. Because this lack of understanding is particularly problematic for husbands. Husbands tend to be a little bit more dense about understanding their wives. (laughs) I think it's the wives who should say amen. The lack of understanding is particularly problematic for husbands, and so verse 7 references husbands directly. It says, live with your wives with understanding. However, as you have already gleaned from the previous points, the need to live with understanding, to be considerate, to show honor, to respect, that's not limited to husbands alone. It's not about just husbands having to live with understanding. It's the wives also having to live with understanding. Both spouses, and especially husbands, are prone to forget to live with understanding. To see things only, they're prone to see things only from their own perspective. And so that's why this reminder is given to deal with each other in understanding ways. Now, how do you do that practically? It is, again, not easy. Because you just can't figure out why this person would think the way that they do. Uh, I mean, it, it just seems baffling. And there is a responsibility for us to be able to engage in conversation, discussion, based on the previous points with a gentle and quiet spirit, in polite ways, with respect, showing conduct that is befitting of a child of God, and to say to them, I don't understand what you're thinking, I don't understand what you're saying, I don't understand why you're doing this, help me understand. And if that is our attitude, rather than, I don't understand what you're doing, and of course it's wrong. We're not getting any more understanding, we're just going to have a conflict. And so the whole point that he's making here is that there will be that submission, that yielding to say, look, I, I don't get it. I admit I'm not understanding, but I'm yielding, I'm submitting. Help me understand. Help me comprehend what you're saying and what, how this is affecting you and what the Lord is speaking to you and help me. And if we're doing that, if we're submitting to one another, then there." can be the beginning of a conversation. Now, it'll take many more conversations. It'll take many attempts. It'll take maybe 30 years of marriage before you even get to some level of understanding. But stick with it. Stay with it. And like I said, this is not just for husbands and wives. This is for all people, that we would deal with others with understanding. Most of the time, we deal with others according to our worldview, our filters, and our selfishness. So we say, well, how, how come you don't think like this? How, you know, why don't you see it my way? We deal with people the way that we think. But the Bible's calling us to put that aside and to deal with people the way that they think. And according to how they are processing something. To understand them. To have compassion. To have that care. And there's one very important phrase that is used in this verse that is very important for us to pay attention to. It says, deal with understanding so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's a sobering statement. Because you know what? We pray all the time. And then many times we're saying, how come my prayer was not answered? How come I didn't get this answer to prayer? we rarely, rarely say, oh, my prayer was not answered because I didn't deal with this person, my spouse, whoever, with understanding. We don't do that. We say, I did all the right things and I've prayed, I didn't get an answer. But the question here, or the examination, the self-evaluation that we have to do is to ask the question, if my prayer is not being answered, if my prayer is being hindered, if my prayer seems like it's thwarted in some way, is it because I am not understanding? I'm not dealing with another person with understanding? That's an important question, and not one that you may like the answer to. Because when you ask that question, you say, am I dealing with understanding with this other person? The answer may be, no, you're not. The Lord may speak that to you. The other person may make that very clear to you. Circumstances may reveal it. And you say, ah. And that's not easy. But it is necessary for us. So before we rush into all sorts of reasons for why something is happening. Afflictions of the spirit, of the soul, of the body. Lack of a peace of mind conflicts that rage, all sorts of things that are going on. And we say, oh God, what's going on? Why is this happening? I want to challenge you that you would ask this question. Am I dealing with understanding with those that the Lord has put in my life? Am I seeking to know the Lord's will and His word for this person in this situation? Or am I trying to impose my will, my way? my authority you see when we look at all of these kinds of things and understand these these references then we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by winning others especially our spouses to the Lord by our conduct this passage says that without even speaking a word you would win the person to the Lord by your conduct. What kind of conduct? All these things that we're talking about. Not just that you would keep quiet, but in your heart you're just raging at this person. Right? That's not the, that's not the meaning of this. But that, that there would be a genuine submission to the Lord, a, a respect for the person, an understanding of them, praying in these ways, and allowing the Lord to lead you so that how you respond to the person is winsome. It is able to bring them to the Lord. Now, winning others to the Lord in this passage is most specifically referring to, in this context, husbands being saved, to the husband recognizing the grace, the love, and the redeeming sacrifice of Christ. They come to that through the conduct of their wives. Their wives have come to know the Lord, and remember in that time period, when Peter is writing this, there almost every family is a new convert, somebody coming to the Lord. And many, many times it was the one spouse, and many times it was the wife that would have come to the Lord. And so Peter is writing to them and saying, Look, Don't try to argue, don't try to do anything else, continue to yield and submit to this husband of yours who may not be a believer yet, and in doing that, as you conduct yourselves according to these ways that the Lord has called you to, you will win this person over to the Lord. However, winning others to the Lord also refers to reflecting the image of God to bearing the fruit of the Spirit, to manifesting the mercy of God, to loving unconditionally like God, so as to bring the other person to a deeper understanding of and relationship with the Lord. So in a marriage relationship, it's not just, oh, my husband is saved, my wife is saved, well, my job is done, I'll live my life, they live theirs. But rather throughout that marriage relationship, for the term that the Lord allows for that union, you're saying, I will continuously win this person to the Lord and exhibit conduct that brings them up, lifts them up, causes them to mature and grow in whatever area, and they will do the same for me. That in the areas that I struggle with and that I am weak in, this person will help to spur and to bring truth and light into that. And I will grow. And in the areas that this, the other, this other spouse uh, struggles with, that I will be able to bring the truth and light of God and help them to grow. But we're helping each other. We're helping each one be one to the Lord, to get closer to the Lord, to recognize and to realize those truths of the Lord. So winning somebody to the Lord, she, it, the, the whole point here is that our goal should be to spur one another, especially our spouses, to run the race so as to win the price. That's what we're doing. So it's not just about salvation. It's not just about saying, do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Do you understand the Lordship of Christ? Have you submitted your life to Him? Yes. Okay, I'm done. No, but it's to say, let me, in whatever way I can, spur you to win the prize, to win, to be one to the Lord, to be in that victorious Christian life. And you are doing the same for me. That we would look to each other to say, how can I encourage you, challenge you, you know, give some sort of charge to you, so that you will also be one to the Lord in every area of your life. That's our goal. That's our motivation. So winning others over by our conduct does not mean that there are no words spoken. There are words that are spoken. But again, as I was saying before, those words are measured. Those words are polite. Those words are respectful. Those words are caring. Those words are understanding. And when we speak like that, when we conduct ourselves like that, then we will have the glory of the Lord on it. Because when we speak in those ways where we are praying, where we are seeking the Holy Spirit so that the words are carefully chosen and full of grace and for the benefit of the hearer and the words are anointed by the Holy Spirit, those words will have an impact. Because the Bible says that the word of God, as it is spoken, as it is given, will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent, for which it is spoken. And so that's how we must think of our words, even in our marriage context or in our relationships, in our church, in all of our interactions. Is the word that we're speaking, when we do need to speak a word, spoken in those ways? To build up and not to tear down. But even if we don't have to speak a word, is our conduct exhibiting these kinds of truths of the word of God? So this morning, you know, even as we're... um, like I said, wrapping up on this mini-series, where there's plenty more to go through in the book of in the books of First and Second Peter, and I encourage you to reread what we've gone through so far. We've gone through just the first part of Chapter Three, and uh, you know, as we finish up on this book and then go into the next and so on, and I encourage you to pay attention to what the Lord will speak to you individually, what the Lord will show you individually. Because these words are going to have different application for each person and each home and each marriage. It will have to be applied specifically to your context. What is it that you need to deal with? Is it their lack of respect? Is there a lack of love? Is there, you know, something that has to be addressed in terms of the speech? What is it that needs to be addressed in your context? That's what you have to pray for. That's what you have to ask the Lord for. And when you do, He will answer that prayer. He will reveal what is necessary. He will shine the light because that's His promise. He says He will do that. Why? So that we may become more like Him. You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about this and even last week we talked about the fact that the Word is given and Peter points to all of these things that we are to do, but he says it is to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus did these things. See, Jesus lived on the earth, exemplifying all these principles that the Bible speaks about. That's why we know that, okay, oh, this is what it means to live like this. This is how we should conduct ourselves. This is how we should speak. And so, even as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Lord Jesus into this earth. Thank God that he lived on this earth for about 33, you know, over 33 years. Thank God that he lived like that and lived to exemplify each of these truths. Because of that, we have encouragement. We have the support. We have the, the example to say, God, help me to live like this. Let the mind of Christ be in me. Let this example of Christ drive me. Let this image of Christ be what I am being conformed to, what I am being transformed to, into. And when that happens, boy, our spouses will be quite shocked. Our churches will be quite different. And the body of Christ worldwide would preach a gospel, sometimes without even words, that the world will find appealing. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your call to us is to live in such a way that we glorify our Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to live in such a way that our spouses and our families and our people that we interact with can understand what you are doing, how you are giving your truths, how you're speaking to us, Lord, to conduct ourselves. And I pray, Father, that this challenge, this this call will be very true in our lives so that, Father, we will clearly and completely give ourselves, Lord, to these truths, that everyone will see our respectful and pure conduct, that everyone would see our gentle and quiet spirit That everyone we deal with, we would deal with them with understanding. That we would live in understanding ways. Thank you, Lord, that as we do that, thank you, Lord, that as we are able to manifest Christ in our lives, we will naturally win people over to the Lord. Not win people over to our way of thinking. Not win them over by barraging and, uh, by, and just harassing them and intimidating them. No, Lord, but rather to win them over with great grace to you, not to us. Help us, Lord, to live like that. Lord, help us just do this. Starting with me, Lord, I submit myself. And Lord, every one of us, every home, every couple, every Lord, every interaction, let these be the characteristics of our lives and our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.